Hello, friends. Do you like this show where we talk about the important stuff of the day? Well, good. There's a great way to support it. Head on over to patreon.com slash unfriend me today. That's patreon.com slash unfriend me. Hey, breeder. How about you stop screwing up your kids by micromanaging everything they do? I think they can survive an episode of Doc McStuffins themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, we live in weird times, and if I can keep a shorter leash on my kids, then who are you to say otherwise? Oh, yeah? Well, if you don't think helicopter parents are a problem, then Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Unfriend Me. Uh, it's uh, episode yeah. who knows what, but it's uh, we're back. That was a that was a gregarious one you got there. It was a long, long. People like out. them. People like the intros. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at some point, you know how shows just sort of evolve over time. Seinfeld started with stand up, and then by the ninth season, they weren't even bothering with it, just doing normal cold yeah. opens. I think eventually the show just turns into that, and then we're done. That's it. We're out. I just I'm I'm waiting for the first person to make the mega mix of just all the like uh, of me yelling incoherently about randomness. Someone will do that because that's the kind of audience we have. We're really glad to have you all here with us for another episode of Unfriend Me. Yeah. We discuss the hot topics and issues of the day. We never discuss hot topic the retailer. You can count on that. Uh, <laughs> however, although uh, I am although I am wearing my first pair of fishnets. <laughs> This might, oh, by the way, and uh, speaking of fishnets, not that my sister wears them, but um, my psychology sister, she's yeah. a psychologist. This might be the first unfriend yeah. me she'll actually listen to because this whole issue uh, or question of helicopter parenting, which we'll get to here yeah. in a bit, is very important to her. So I'm just saying, we don't have to change our behavior or say anything different. Just know that a qualified therapist will be listening to the episode and, and uh, we should feel judged and uh, graded as we speak. Uh, I'm very excited uh, for her to listen to the show and uh, uh, write us probably our most educated email on why we were wrong uh, for next week's episode. So that's already we have a tease for next week. Great, great. Uh, speaking of emails, uh, we get a bunch here at the show. Unfriendme at gmail.com. Unfriendmeshow at gmail.com, sorry. Unfriendmeshow at gmail.com. We get those emails. We suss through them. And then uh, we throw them in here and we read them to you. What did we talk about last time and why are these emails important? Well, Scott, we talked about the drinking age, why it is 21, and uh, the path that we took to get there. We had a bunch of emailers, and so we begin. <laughs> Leah wrote, I live in the UK, so for me, the magic age was 18. In my experience, at least, your 18th birthday itself was less of a big thing than the summer after all your friends turned 18, and you could go on holiday with them purely with the intention of getting absolutely wasted. Disclaimer, me and my friends have been, uh, had a nice, wholesome time in Disneyland Paris. Aww. At the end of that summer, then uh, you'd have Freshers Week when you start uni, which is normally a week of, again, everybody getting wasted. When I was 17 or uh, 16, I went on a class exchange trip to Germany where the drinking age was 16. And our native hosts all took us out drinking one night. What do we all do? God, absolutely wasted. Uh, I'd be interested to hear more about what it's like turning 21 in America. Is it the same? I can do it. So I'm going to do it as much as possible attitude. Or 
Do you gain a bit of maturity in those three years, if not wanting uh, to have no limit and normalizing drinking in moderation? Does that make for a better solution? Well, the real the rulemakers would hope that the 21 limit would do just that. It would uh, allow for some maturation that at age 21, you might not be so quick to want to run out, get you know blasted, then drive home erratically in a car and kill five people on the way back. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the intent, whether that actually works or not. I don't know. I know some very immature 21 year olds and I know some very mature 21 year olds and not in the way you're thinking, just, I happen to know them. So what I'm saying is I think that they are, they are, uh, they are absolutely right as to why we go 21 and they don't. Well, I will also say I got plenty drunk before 21 and really 21 was just the time where I could get into the bars that weren't pieces of crap that would let in obvious fake IDs. Yeah, you were you were legally making poor life choices at that point, and that's what we like in this world. <laughs> uh, Connor wrote in, says, I turned 21 in December. I received an MIP in November for holding a beer, and I, uh, and, sorry, I hadn't sipped yet. You can guess which side I land on. Uh, whenever I was drinking at 18, I would always get wasted because the only place I could drink was at parties. I could go out to a bar with friends. I would only, uh, or, or sorry, I could go out to a bar with friends. I would probably have a lot less rough mornings compared to this to when I went to Europe for a few weeks at 18. Here we go. Another European vacation. Yeah. Where I never got drunk, but I would drink, uh, would casually drink more regularly. In my opinion, the former creates an association of alcohol to binge drinking. In my opinion, the state of drinking in the U.S. versus Europe is comparable to the teaching of abstinence in sex ed. When abstinence is taught in sex ed, teen pregnancies are much higher when compared to places where students are educated on contraceptive methods. Teenagers are more likely to drink responsibly if they are taught how to drink responsibly. If not, they drink only at parties because that's the only place alcohol is found for your average 18-year-old. I I have no opinion on this because I don't know if any of these stats are real. I'm not saying they're wrong. I just don't know where he's going. Yeah, I mean, the the, the abstinence thing, I think, is is, uh, uh, an interesting comparison i don't really know where to start with it because i think it is kind of apples to oranges mm-hmm. uh i think that people handle alcohol differently some people like a, a, a nice whiskey nip before bed and that's pretty much it and other people like to get totally trash uh, uh i know that me and my friend sphere probably leaned more to the wait a minute why is there still alcohol here do you know you can drink that uh uh kind of uh, side of the dial. Wait, you guys so, were like cleaners. Uh, if- you, you'd hang around and wait and see what was left, and then you'd you'd make sure the rest didn't get wasted. That's the that's what you guys did. No, it's just more on the idea that I really didn't know what a liquor cabinet was for. <laughs> like, why are you going to need to like? There's liquor there. Like, you could drink all of it immediately. Like, why would you need to keep it? Like, is there like a hex on it? Are you? Is it haunted? <laughs> is it? Is it an old Civil War general's? Bottle of Bartles and James. Mm. Yeah, that's a very uh, interesting question. Why? Because at your house, where was the where was the booze kept at your house? Not in a. Well, I didn't really have booze at my. I mean, yeah, my mom had like bottles of wine and stuff like that. But but in general, and I would never really steal from her. Yeah. Uh, it's it just more like in my adult, in my young adulthood, my my like first apartment and hanging out with friends through college and, and into, you know, the real world. There was definitely not a lot of. Oh, well, please come over to my classy uh, uh, liquor hutch with, and I'll, I'll pour I'll pour you a nice a draft with, with in pebbled glass. Well, to, to finish off this thought from this particular one before we get to the other email, do you do you feel like when you hit 21, I guess this goes to the other emailer as well. Do you feel like that was a, a more mature age for you to make 
logical or smart drinking decisions? Or is, did it feel like bunk to you having been somebody who dabbled before, dabbled on the day, and certainly dabbled after? It certainly led me to drinking in more dangerous places without medical attention or, uh, you know, any kind of somebody to put a hand on my shoulder and say, you're not allowed to be here anymore. You're too drunk or a bartender to say, we're not going to serve you anymore. You need to slow down. Here's a here's a glass of water. Mm. Uh, it, it led me to do it in many more basements and attics and parking lots and, and stuff like that. Which was fun. I would say my, my when I turned twenty one, I was certainly a lot more mature, but it was because I had gotten you know dumb wasted plenty of times before. Sure. Uh, Daniel writes, neurologically speaking, the brain is still developing into the young twenties, and I see a lot of uh, cr- uh, crises developing because these young minds are allowed to do things that their brains cannot handle. Take out huge student loans, enter combat, be prescribed serious brain altering drugs. Having worked with a lot of veterans, young and old, I cannot help but noticing that being young is a common denominator in PTSD. You have 17 and 18-year-olds taking out tens of hundreds of thousands in debt, running up credit cards, and choosing courses to study that they have no clue what they are studying, uh, that they are signing up for. Mm. His so- point is, is something that we made during the show that, like, hey, look. If we're going to get really, if we're going to slice this ham deli thin about, well, you know, the brain is still developing into the 20s. It sure doesn't stop us putting these brains into the front lines or having them sign over legal culpability for hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Yeah, I still think I fall on the side of this emailer. And my sister, by the way, says 26 to 27 is the current science, so... Of when the brain stops developing. When it stops, yeah. On average, when it finally stops to sort of, or I shouldn't say stops, it slows down. Your your pathways are set. You're kind of in cement yeah. at that point. And uh, we have people do a lot of weird stuff before they're 27. So anyway, something to keep in mind. One final email from Eric who wrote in and says, I just wanted to bring up the point of, of possible different ages for beer and hard liquor. I know uh, anytime I've overdone it, there's always been liquor involved, not just Beer. So maybe we treat it like we do advertising. You can have a Miller Lite commercial any time of the day you want on TV, uh, but you ain't bringing out the, uh, I don't know, I can't think of anyone. Hard yeah, whiskey it's not man. Mila Kunis trying to hawk her uh, bourbon or whatever. <laughs> Does she do that? I don't even, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, no. Like Mila Kunis is uh, out there and she's exploding bourbon bottles and she's like, you know, kind of flirting with some random lady at the bar and being like, hey. Wow. Drink my bourbon. I'm Mila Kunis. <laughs> Kunis brand. Look for it by name. Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes like good... Jim Beam. It's like a big one. It's like Jack Daniels or Jim Beam. Okay. So, like so uh, you know, yeah. It's always, it's always like some fancy, like Jack Daniels uh, punched a vampire once and <laughs> he said, man, that's great. I should make whiskey. <laughs> I, I would only say this to Eric. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why they don't do that. I don't know why there's not a differentiation, but isn't it kind of the same problem? If you say I, the kids, yeah, I I don't think that there's necessarily. I mean, unless you want to get crazy like Utah and start limiting uh, uh, how much alcohol can be in your beer you sell at the grocery store. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't think that uh, there's there's really much of a reason to to separate out that. Uh, if anything, we just need to be smarter about it. I think we need to just pay. Uh, we need to continue to foster relationships with restaurants and and you know I think the parenting is a huge part of it, of, of understanding what your limits are. Whoa, and, and, parenting. Do you say parenting? Yeah. How parenting, about, Scott. What, what if I was in a helicopter hovering right over my kid going, thup, 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 keeping well, an eye on I'll, everything? 
I'll tell you what, much like a helicopter parent, you'd be getting ahead of the fact that we want to remind you that unfriendmeshow at gmail.com is where you can send in your emails. Remember to write them short or give me a TLDR because otherwise I'm going to willfully misinterpret what you have said and make the opposite point when I have to edit it myself. So nice. thank you very much. Yeah, please do that. All right, let's talk about it. Helicopter parent parenting. Indeed, uh, Scott. Yeah, you want Let's to go ahead with the definition. Yeah, explain what the hell that is, because a lot of people probably have no idea. The term helicopter parent was first used in Dr. Haim Gino's 1969 book, Parents and Teenagers by Teens, who said their parents would hover over them like a helicopter. The term became popular enough to become a dictionary entry in 2011. Similar terms include lawnmower parenting, cosetting parent, bulldoze parent. Helicopter parenting often refers to, quote, a style of parents who are over-focused on their children, says Carolyn Deitch, A-P-H-D. A fun note, the helicopter itself was only invented in 1939. <laughs> so it only took 30 years for it to be used as a metaphor that we still use today. Yeah. Good on you, helicopter. Yeah. Everybody had to have their own helicopter in their garage so that it became so commonplace that we could use it as a term. I like this quote, though. Uh, quote, a style of parents who are over-focused on their children. How you interpret that, uh, yeah. or or rather to say how that hits you, that either offends you or makes sense to you, that will determine how helicopter you are. Because if you take offense to that, that I think you're too much of a helicopter parent. Because the idea of being over-focused on children to a parent who's helicoptering sounds like that's the only way to be. What are you talking yeah. about? What else am I going to be? Of course... I'm going to be over-focused on my children. That's my entire job from the day they're born until they move out. And so, yes, of course, I'm right there, and I, and this is offensive to me is what they'd say. Uh, All right. Other people blow it off. So here are the common causes yeah. of helicopter parenting. Okay. Uh, you let me know which of these interests you and which one we want to go into because we got a little bit of a further explanation for each of them. All right. Further, Fear of yeah. dire consequences. Personal feelings of anxiety. Overcompensation and peer pressure from other parents. Which of these strikes to your core as a father of three? As a father of three, the, the one that jumps out the most to me, actually, the, I'll say the two, uh, are fear of dire consequences. For example, mm -hmm. let's just make an example. Um, send your kid out on a, a, a hangout with his friends or a date or something, where, and they don't have their phone with them. Yeah, that sense of like, oh, my gosh, well, what if something happens? I can't get a hold of them. They can't get a hold of me. I'll never know anything's wrong until it's too late. That kind of catastrophizing I, I tended to do, especially when they were, you know, junior high, getting into high school and stuff. Yeah. Um, so prime time trouble. Yeah. When I was a kid, when I was that age, there were no phones. I mean, there were, but they were the giant things that were in people's cars that were rich cocaine ma uh, barons. So you only saw them in TV and movies. So <laughs> no, yeah, noted, noted, noted haven for rich cocaine barons, the Salt Lake City area of Utah. Well, I mean, and I, I would look, you know, I'd see, I don't know, Miami Vice and go, whoa, look at he's sure. got a phone in exactly. his cor in his Corvette. But he didn't really, uh, you know, like we didn't have this stuff commonly. So or, or the or those over over the shoulder satchels, mm -hmm. like the gigantic battery and radio yeah. with a tiny little phone on a cord. Those were pretty good. Uh so we didn't have that level of convenience. And no. because of that, you just sent us out and we went and we checked in maybe by a cell, by a, a payphone or something. If we were, 
you know, going to be late or something weird is going on or we call from somebody's house, but it was no big deal. Like there's nothing you could helicopter there. Phones, phones are really interesting because they, they increased, uh, a parent's ability to keep track in a more, um, detailed way, but introduced a whole bunch of scenarios that really didn't exist before, or if they existed, they were minor chances of ever happening. Now they feel like they could happen. And well, if we have this phone, this is the only way we can do this. Or, you know, some people go more than that. They'll track their kids via apps that say exactly where they are at any given time around town. And, um, I have, I have a, I won't say who, but I have a sibling who did this, uh, with her kids and whoops, that narrowed it down to a little bit, um, by saying her, but anyway, (laughs) uh, you know, I thought it was a little much, but you know, the, the, the more conveniences we have today, like seatbelts are a good example. My dad growing up didn't have seatbelts when we grew up, you had seatbelts and it was against the law if you didn't wear them. And that's only gotten stricter over time. So this idea that previous to my dad's life, uh, everybody was just living in chaos because there were no seatbelts is kind of ridiculous. But today we would we would look at it and go, well, no, you should put your seatbelt on or I'll tell Nick on the way to his date, dude, make sure you're buckled up tonight. You know, that kind of stuff. Like it's just yeah. the, the, the more convenient and the better we get at sort of society, I think the easier it is for parents to slip into paranoia land. So that's number sure. one for me, fear and dire, right. of dire consequences and anxiety. Cause if, if anxiety counts things like, Oh, I hated SAT days. I'm nervous for like a lot of that, you know, where you're sort of, of you projecting, projecting on your, on your kids. Sure. Your experience. Sure. Yeah. I think that happens for sure. And so that would almost feed right into overcompensation, which is defined here as adults who felt unloved, neglected, or ignored as children. And let's, take that down a couple degrees and say, well, I wish my dad had done this. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in this situation, it would have been nice if, if I would have gotten maybe this kind of thing or that I want to live up to my father who did this really nice thing that I will always remember. Now sure. I want to do something similar to my kids. That is a, another reason why apparently helicopter parenting exists. And then of course there is something. That man, I almost feel like this can be another episode entirely. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it to me is the root cause of so much of what we have talked about. Peer pressure from other parents. I, I, I am not a parent. So my expert episode was the drinking episode last week, and <laughs> Scott's is the parenting episode this week. But all I have heard from my parent my friends who are parents is that boy, howdy them facebook groups don't play Mm. it is a war zone out there when it comes to anybody describing any way that they parent their kids as everybody's got an opinion and boy do they not let up about it yeah one of the things i think kim and i are if we're able to be proud of anything in our parenting heritage it's that this did not really play a factor for us or a role we tried in fact made specific steps during the early part of parenting where we're like, we are not going to get all wrapped up in this. I mean, it's just an extension of keeping up with the Joneses, but now you're keeping up with the Joneses kids. And I didn't care for any of that. I had no desire for it. I see it happen all around me. I see it happen all the time. And I think it's miserable and it sucks. And you miss out on the otherwise joyous time you can have raising a kid through the bad and the good times. You, you can glean so much greatness out of that that if you get bogged down about what the guy up the street did with his quarterback kid or what the smart kid with the better grades up the street's doing or any of those kinds of scenarios, 
uh, F that. Also, it keeps you away. If you think about it more and you, and you include it in your parenting of trying to avoid this sort of thing, when something happens and your own kid is at fault, you don't get your blinders yeah. up. And I've had a number of occasions where somebody was coming after us. Parents were mad because of something happened at school. Sit down with everybody, including the other parents, and basically put the kids on the spotlight to the point that we just were going to get the truth out of it. And in a couple of cases, it's my kids. They totally did it. It was their yeah. fault. Taylor's being a mean girl on text back in high school. And it was not cool. And when I found out it was her, that was all I needed to hear. And it was all about her at that point and not, well, you know, her friends, this and that. I can't stand it when a parent has a kid who maybe bullies some other kid or does something wrong. And the parents just put up these blinders and say, not my, not my boy, not my girl. Not my angel. Yeah. F that. That sucks. So that's something we worked really hard on. So I never felt this. Peer pressure. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. But you never got a little, you know, a tut tutting for uh, from somebody in the grocery store for letting your kid uh, maybe get too handsy with the bags of cereal or something like that. No. In fact, uh, the worst it ever got, I'll never forget at a grocery store. So to, to stay yeah. within the zone of your example, uh, in line, Carter's like, uh, how old is she? Probably five. And she went through a period of like super defiance. And if she wanted something, she was just going to scream until you gave it to her. At least that's what she thought she was going to do. Yeah. Kim wasn't having any. So what will happen a lot of times is parents will in that in the moment and in public will go, no, it's, it's okay. And, and, you know, try to not make a scene. Yeah. Kim's like, turns around to me. She goes, you got the line? I said, yep. She goes, all right. Grabs her, picks her up, very quickly shuffles off to a corner where nobody is, puts her down squats down gets eye to eye with her and has this yeah. like hardcore conversation about why you don't do this why you don't do this yeah. in public why this bothers other people learn how to uh, learn what it means to have a social contract and whatever the word she used for a five-year-old like it was a that was a big deal yeah and now you'll you'll never find a more courteous kind public person than, than carter i'm not saying that one event did it but that was the style kim used I was Wait, huh? you're telling me you have never, you've never gotten any, I'm sure Kim has stories. Kim has to have stories. Oh, I guarantee she's point, got stories, somebody, sure. somebody, I'm not saying rightly, I'm saying wrongly, uh, came and said, like, you know, you really should have your kid, whatever, whatever the, the criticism was. Maybe. Um, I mean, I'd have to ask her. I should have asked her before the show. I didn't think about it. Tell but... her to write into the show or call in. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. But there, okay, I got one that was kind of like this. And All I right. thought Kim was going to kill this person. But okay. We were, we were at a Here movie. we go. This is what I want. I want Kim decapitation stories. We were in the movie theater. We were seeing one of the Lord of the Rings movies. My kids are little. Gotcha. Uh, they're young. And uh, Nick is sitting between me and Kim and has his legs uh, up. By, by the way, to show you to show you where we have traveled different paths, the last Lord of the Rings movie that I uh, that, that came out, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, me and my friends got so high that one accidentally <laughs> bought hundred and fifty dollars worth of concessions. What? Go oh my gosh, <laughs> that's crazy! All right, don't drink till you're twenty-one, kids. Anyway, so uh, we're at this movie theater. Nick has got his legs crossed and he's sitting, so he's for his legs aren't even down in front of the seat. And the people in front of us, uh, right in the middle of the first, I don't know, twelve minutes of the movie or something, suddenly turn around at him and us and go, "Please stop kicking me." She says. Ah, yeah. Now, uh, we went, what? And I look at Nick and his legs are up. His, he's not doing anything. I'm not kicking anybody. Kim's not kicking anybody. We're like, what is she even talking about? 
So Kim's fuming a little bit about this, but not that big a deal. Another 10, yeah. 15 minutes later, I see some other kid. I don't know how he's even doing it, but some kid's poking at the chair with his foot. Yeah. Who's sitting over on this side. And it wasn't even her chair. It was like part of the thing that's all connected. So she's feeling it, but it's not really her chair. And I went, oh, that's probably what's going on. And about the time I think this, and Frodo and uh, what's his name, or, you know, Sam I don't mean yeah. to, Sam, and all this. Suddenly the lady turns around. And she goes, control your child. If he kicks me again, I'm going to call the whatever. And I oh, thought Kim God. was going to murder this lady. So, yeah. yes, there are examples of that, sure. She's just going to uh, re- re- reveal a hand blade like Baraka and, and <laughs> fatality her right there in the, in yeah, the theater. Yeah, I've never seen her so mad. And she says, to this day, she doesn't remember what that particular, um, she doesn't remember which Lord of the Rings she movie it was. She doesn't remember where she buried that woman's body. <laughs> <laughs> she blacked out. <laughs> and I'm I'm the type that's like, eh, whatever, just blow her off, let's move on. But not Kim. She gets fiercely protective of the kids but just as fiercely um wanting to know is it, if they're doing it she wants to know and there's yeah. no way she lets that slide like there's no way you don't sit the kid down and give him give him hell for some stupid thing they did if so it's, that, if, that, if it's that I think is kind of at, at the crux here is think of your parenting like a government right yeah and and you are governing these kids and some governments are more forceful and interject themselves and some are more laissez-faire and that is at the crux here so helicopter parenting or at least that that uh, in the research that i did focused a little bit less on making sure little timmy uh doesn't skin his knee and a little more on what happens when the kid gets older mm. and you start to face things like Timmy gets a bad grade. Are you going to yell at the teacher? Timmy can't find a job. Are you going to go to the job fair and hand out his resume? Are you going to help negotiate a raise for Timmy when, or Timothy now that he's an adult, now that he uh, has a job, but you think he is undervalued? Where does the hovering stop? And part of what I found is that apparently some people believe that this is a baby boomer craze so children of uh uh sorry baby boomer parents so children of the greatest generation uh baby boomers and their millennial children apparently have been the the forebearers of this general a generational demo uh demographer uh, i'm I'm a a thousand today demographer demographer there you go neil neil (laughs) i'm having a stroke neil howe Describes Neil how describes helicopter parenting as a parenting style of baby boomer parents of millennial children. How describes the helicopter parenting of baby boomers as a distinct as a distinct parenting style uh, from Generation X parents. He describes the latter as a stealth fighter parent due to a tendency of Gen X parents to let minor issues go while striking without warning and vigorously in the event of serious issues. Wow. How contrast that to the sustained participation of boomer parents of millennials in the educational setting, describing these parents as, quote, sometimes helpful, sometimes annoying, and yet always hovering over their children and making noise. How describes baby boomers as incredibly close to their children, saying that his, in his opinion, on the whole, it's a good thing. Hmm. Is it, though? Is it? So you would you would you describe yourself as a stealth fighter parent, not a helicopter parent that you are kind of always watching and 
justice is is meted out in the corner of that grocery store without warning and tremendous ferocity? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I I'm trying to think of other moments like this or or major pin, where I could pinpoint and go, yeah, that was a big one, and we swooped in and cleaned that. We were we were cleaning that up ASAP. Well, look, I mean, I think part of it is like what you said that that you weren't. You know, like as soon as you had evidence that this was. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, your daughter being a being a B on on text message yeah. in in high school. Then it was like, no, we're no no due trial. You don't get the right to a lawyer straight to Gitmo. Yeah, no, that that is true. So I guess that I guess that does match up. I mean, I I thought I, I always assumed, and this is why this date is interesting. I always assumed that um, everyone thought the Gen Xers were the ones that were the problem. Now that we were the worst helicoptery of parents, and I certainly know some in my age range. Uh, Gen Xers who are uh, that way, or I would describe that way, but it sounds like they're less of this than their forebears and their progeny. So, so really, what's happening here is, uh, I mean, I felt like I was helicopter parented a little bit when I was a kid, mostly mm-hmm. by my mom, not so much my by my dad. But where possible, I felt like my mom was kind of all around, hovering all the time, sort of over focused, uh, and then. I mean, that's all I had to go on. I don't know how other people's parents did it at the time because I didn't grow up with them. But now uh, I'm trying to think of millennials I know who do this. I mean, I know some. I have a niece who's super hardcore. I mean, the helicopter never leaves the... I mean, they never leave the helicopter pad, and that helicopter is right above the pad, and it's constantly just turning around the pad, making sure everything is done for everybody all the time, and the minute something goes wrong, down comes the helicopter, fix the problem, and fly back up and then hover around just to keep the metaphor going. Um, yeah. So that's so that's and I guess they're millennials. So 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 maybe this is maybe this data is real. I mean, and obviously there's outliers and there's people that are, you know, you can't blanket everybody with this stuff. But you're what you're saying to me makes sense. Well, and now the funny thing is that now the millennials are becoming parents. So now how do the millennials who were raised by the baby boomers affect the children? They're whatever weird offspring we're going to name, you know, these little miscreants. Uh, how about this one, though? Is it all that weird when you compare it to parenting around the world? The Chinese parenting style depicted in the book Battle Hem of the Tiger Mother has been compared to Western helicopter parenting. Nancy Gibbs, writing for Time magazine, described both of them as extreme parenting, although she noted key differences between the two. Gibbs described tiger mothers as focused on success in precision-oriented fields, such as music and math, while helicopter parents are, quote, obsessed with failure and preventing it at all costs, end quote. Mm. Another difference she described was the tiger mother's emphasis on hard work with parents adopting an extreme, rigid, and authoritarian approach toward their children, which she contrasts to the Western helicopter parents who, she says, enshrine their children and crave their friendship. Ooh, okay. All right. I think I just figured it out. I think I just got the answer to everything just now while you were reading that. Clearly, it's not just something exclusive to Western society. Clearly there are probably examples, I don't know, historically all over the place you could find that show different parenting methods and some would be categorized as quote unquote helicopter parenting or overparenting. Here's what I think has a role here, whether, and we should probably acknowledge it. Um, and maybe somebody was going to call about this and I've just killed a call. I don't know. But yeah, the idea that society is more, not just stringent on rules that otherwise would have been parenting decisions, but also way more judgmental when things go south. Uh, I'll give you an example. If in the, uh, I don't know, 70s or 80s, if your 
you send a kid off to a camp uh, with some friends and five went out, only four came back and your kid got lost and eventually was found on the river face down and died. Yeah. What you would have gotten more of then is community outreach and comfort and support and help. And, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about that. And they'd help you with the grieving process and you'd move on. Today, those bits still exist. But if you send your kid out to with a bunch of uh, kids, you don't send them with their phones. Four come back. Your son's gone. You find him face down in the river. You will spend the rest of your life being scrutinized by those around you in your immediate vicinity and beyond as a terrible parent who let this happen because you let him go. You didn't That's take really the, dark, Scott. I know it's dark. And I, That's I went to really dark. <laughs> I went to a dark example because it's the most extreme, but there's lots of in between. You could also, say. I don't know if it's true. This is a totally straw man <laughs> argument of how you would imagine this fictitious town in your head reacting to a tragedy. I think that the minute something happens that parents perceive uh, the idea of something big enough happened where you would be, in the news because of it. I'll, oh, I actually have an example. This is another sad example, but I, you know, so I apologize for its sadness. All right, here but we go. The happy, a, fun, unfriend me <laughs> hour uh, continues on with Scott Johnson. There was a kid in our, uh, na- not our neighborhood, but it goes to Nick's school. And uh, he was a football player, popular kid. Uh, everyone liked this kid. In fact, Nick had just filmed him saying some stuff for the school video they made for the school news thing. And, and yeah. they knew each other. They weren't close friends or anything. One day we get news that this kid was out driving around and had looked down to his phone for a text. And when he looked up, he was doing 55 and slammed into the back of a bus. And he was killed instantly in this accident. Oh, my good Lord. Yeah, I know. It was awful. So there's still flowers and stuff over on this corner where it happened. And uh, I noticed that there was a tone in the news because it made the local news. And that was talked about. And they were there on the scene and everything. And just in casual conversations, people go, oh, did you hear about the thing? And then the, and then people would talk about it. There was definitely this, how do I put it? It's not like a judgment, but there was like this feeling of like, why would, why would, why would your, you even give your kid a phone if he can't control himself and he'd read it in the car? Like it was all coming back to the parents, even though it was just this senseless, awful moment, could have gone a thousand other ways, could have hit a tree and been fine. Like there could have been so many other ends to the story. I guarantee those parents feel all of the normal loss and 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 all the other feelings of of awfulness that come with losing somebody you care about like this. But then there is that judgment of a much more public world. You don't live out on a farm somewhere where somebody died in the thresher today. It's yeah. you died in the thresher on 24 hour news. You know what I'm saying? So I th- I think there's something to that. I don't know. I'm not articulating it very well, and I don't have all the answers for it. But I feel like there's something. I don't to- also. I mean, aside from just coming up with two exceptionally <laughs> black examples, dark examples of catastrophes involving children, I don't even, I guess, is is your point that part of this desire to be on top of everything is for fear that you're going to be maligned in your darkest hour and not only would you lose a child, but you would also be forever remembered by all of your peer group as the awful parent who yeah. uh, had the awful tragedy happen to them? I do think people feel that way. I don't think everyone does, okay. but I think some people do. It goes back to your fear of dire consequences. If that's a true category of parenting, yeah. then yeah. then I think that's all that speaks to. And I've 
definitely felt those times where I was like, oh my gosh, really? She's only had three swimming lessons. Are we sure we're letting her go over to that house where they got a swimming pool? And I don't know who's, who's the bodyguard. Like you start not bodyguard. Who's the, what are they called? Pool, uh, something who's guard. the chaperone no who's the guard on the side of a pool that helps it lifeguard you, lifeguard <laughs> also the bodyguard just to make sure if anyone starts shooting he's gonna dive in front yeah i mean it's it's hard to explain but i think if that's if that stuff is true if, if that's how people feel you go to dark places you think about the worst case yeah. scenario and then you you hope to either find well, some I some rationality or you overthink it and you overdo it so, All right, I'll tell you what, we got to we got to zoom through this because we are we are going way over time with the with the research. But yeah, this yeah. is a good conversation. Number yeah. one, there is an idea that this is an over maligned term that while it's easy to make fun of a bunch of twit college educated white parents for doing dumb college educated white parent things that ultimately if parents in general are paying more attention to their children and are more attentive to their needs as a large scale trend. This is not something that we necessarily need to belittle, although there are always going to be examples of people taking it too far. Also, a Michigan State study found that there are three types of helicopter parents. So, Scott, you tell me. I've already, and this is, by the way, the fact that helicopter is just such a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to name different things after different kinds of helicopters and different types of flying devices. So here we go. <laughs> are you a recon, a reconnaissance helicopter parent, gathering information and helping with resumes, Involved but not present when children would normally be alone. Are you a low-altitude helicopter parent? More of an agent. Will interact with authority figures on behalf of children and oftentimes with permission. Or are you a guerrilla warfare helicopter parent? Combative and aggressive. Will argue with a boss or job on behalf of your child. Taking matters into your own hands. Even mm. if your kid doesn't. I'm in a, the short answer is I'm an amalgam of one and two or A and B. I'm not C at all, but one and what two. Is, what is the last time that you remember speaking for your children to an authority figure? Uh, yesterday, uh, because we're trying to help Nick get a cool job at a university for the summer. Yeah. As, uh, of all things, a Overwatch coach for a bunch of players who want to become better overwatch players sounds nice. crazy but yeah it's a really cool opportunity and it pays good and it seemed like it'd be a really neat thing for him and so i am i am stepping in to basically say to vouch for his uh you know who he is and what he does and that he's good at this nerd stuff and that he'd be perfectly suited for it uh so that there's an example where i did and i should mention he was annoyed that i wanted to do that Oh, he wanted to do it by himself. He doesn't he doesn't want this to get to him and not and have it be that someone else helped him get it. He wants it to be on his own merits, which I totally understand as well. So I tried it's not to not overreach. like he wants you know, he doesn't want his boss to be like, Hey, tell your dad fart gas. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, not like that. But he but he I mean, I understand what he's saying. He doesn't want to. Yeah. He doesn't want to get there and go. He wants yeah, to get yeah. it for him. He yeah. wants to get it by his own merit. Yeah, and he's now at an age where that's that is what you should be wanting to do. And foolish, I'm really glad to hear foolish, it. Foolish, youthful pride, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Take kids uh, a hard lesson that you're gonna want to learn. Nobody else is ashamed that your parents or any other advantage is going to be the reason why you're getting that job. Please utilize everything you ever have. Yeah, because take advantage of what you else can. Nobody being shy about it, and you don't get a credit to the sizzler because you did it without any help. <laughs> wow, that is some high-minded uh, ideals they're aiming for now these days. A, 
A credit at the Sizzler. Fantastic. You don't. I'll tell you what. How about this one? You can go ahead and give us a call right now. 801-285-9395. Again, that is 801-285-9395. Throw that in your phone right now. It's been a while since we reminded you guys. Toss that in your phone. Send me a, a screen grab on Twitter at Justin R. Young. I'm going to retweet you. Yeah. Because I think it is great to have this. You're listening on your, you know, somewhere. You could even be in the car. Use your voice. Uh, your voice thing to, to just say call unfriend me show and uh, you could have us on the line yeah, right now like, like I'm sure we have people now yeah like this person hi you're on the air who is this it's josh how's it going hey josh What's nice up, josh? to hear from you how are you good good hey so uh as you know i have a a brand newborn and a two and a half so i'm not in any way relatable to the upper levels of uh like teenagers and stuff like that. But I will say that my parents, uh, I'm a Gen Xer. So my parents kind of just basically let me out and go do whatever I want. And they basically said, just don't die. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a different time. It was like, you know, in the eighties, nineties, and we didn't have all the exposure that we have now. So, a lot of the stuff like, you know, social media, all these smartphones that the kids carry around. Apparently you're mandated a smartphone now when you turn 10 years old. So sure. I don't know how that works. Yeah, that seems, I, late. Uh, yeah. I, that seems late. It, it just seems like now the kids, <laughs> the, the, the kids get the iPads when they're toddlers. Yeah. Right. To keep to shut them up every once in a while. Yeah. And then that just uh, they, they that's that's their first smart device. And they just kind of. Never let go of it. It's yeah, new and different ones. Well, what's funny is, uh, what's funny about this is that you're you're absolutely right about like the, um, you know the 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 differences. But there are a couple of these cases where I would actually argue, at the very least, they're they're self promoting. So I'll give you an an example. There was a time where sure. my daughter ended up at a party that she felt very uncomfortable at and needed to get out of there. I was so glad for cell phones that night. Because she could call me and go, Dad, I don't like it. It's bad. There's some people here saying some stuff. I need to get out of here. Okay, I'll be right over. Hang on a second. So I went down yeah. there. I picked her up. I gave all those guys the stink eye, scared the hell out of them, and then got out of there. I wouldn't have been able to do that in other scenarios. Now, could she have found a phone or gotten to a pay phone? I mean, there's other options, certainly, in 1980 or in 19 or 2000 and whatever it was, 2000 and I'm old. Whatever is the point. Yeah. But... But I liked that. But it's also self-perpetuating. It's like, well, now that that's happened once, how can I ever go without a cell phone? Rah! I like that. So, yeah. All right. You get, the, you get to the point where how much of a dependence is technology? Is it something that's beneficial or is it something that is a crutch? Right. And right now it feels like so. for some it's a crutch. I would, on a whole, it's very beneficial, right? Like I, I think that certainly it can it can magnify some of our worst instincts. But you would want to have the ability, like uh, uh, Scott. Yeah. Be honest. Yeah. You ever you ever turn on that uh the 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 the, the find my friends feature on those uh, on those kids phones? No, not once. Did not I do once. That? No. Really? I have another example. I have an example of something I do that they cannot stand, which I'll get to in a second. We'll take this call first. Hi, who's this? Hey, it's Jonathan in New York. Hey, man. What's going on? What's up, John? Hey. Hey. 
So uh, we're talking about abortion, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I'll tell you what, that would have solved a lot of these problems. But go ahead. <laughs> That's what I'm um, Well, I haven't had a chance to call in since the Pope responded to my last call relative to uh, canonical information relative to uh, capital punishment. But uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, uh, this this topic is, and this is. I'm not being critical. I have no idea what the hell you guys are talking about. I'm at my desk working on an Excel spreadsheet, and I'm. Like what the hell is a helicopter? What the what is this shit? How when you were growing up, how did uh, you how did you feel like your parents parented you? Like what was it like? Yeah. Did they pay too much? Did you feel like they were hovering around you all the time and making sure everything went perfect, or else they would intervene? Or did you feel like they kind of let you have your freedom? Uh, you know, freedom. I mean, I grew up in a two parent home. Uh, Mom was a second grade school teacher. Dad worked in an office. It's like normal stuff in a suburb of Ohio. Yeah, but uh. I just. I, the, this is why you don't get it. Is my look, point. I, I I got three. I got three cats. I don't have kids. This is why I'm kind of calling in because I I have no concept of what any of these challenges are. Right. All right. Like, All right. I, I, I listen. You and you and your day in day out. Yeah, not that listen, I did not mean to hang up on it. Can... All right. Cool. I, we get it. You don't have kids. Yeah, the point I mean, is, he helped me. I under, don't have but... kids either, but I'm, I'm trying to hum along here. Right. Anyway, you tell. All right, so wait, you never thought about turning on those that 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 tracking feature? No, Why not? No, because they would be really angry at me, and I don't like. I don't. That's not something I like. I don't want them to be mad at me. Here's the thing, they. That's not your right. I would if I had kids, man. Second, second. I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I'm just gonna let them know. Okay, Look, I'm gonna make a big admission this is, here. This, this is this is the line. You get the phone. I pay the bill. Tracking's on. I'm if gonna tracking goes off. <laughs> I'm coming in. Guns blazing. I'm going to make a... I can't believe I'm going to say this. Go. I'm going to get in trouble for this. All right. All right. They're not listening to this show, I don't think. Yeah. Okay, here's the deal. And It's like a Santa Claus thing, so it's not that big a deal. But All right. Two things. First of all, the thing they hate that I do uh, is just normal stuff. Like, we have a a couple of echoes in the house, and I can drop in on any of them via audio. We have a show in the living room that has camera. They hate the idea that I can just drop in on that anytime. They hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Always tell me how creepy it is. I don't like it. They wish I wouldn't do it. Okay, so that's the only thing I've come close to with, like, tracking them. However, I used to tell them, especially in junior high, I think by the time high school rolled around, they quit believing me. But junior high especially, (laughs) I would tell them that I had spies at their school that would let me know if they were up to something no good. Gotcha. So, so I would give him this uh, this fake story about some dude I had wandering around in there that was like maybe a student, maybe a teacher. You'd never know. And he would be just looking out for you. And the minute he'd see something, he'd let me know and had a little detailed list of, well, this is where Taylor went today. Uh, check, you know, check your notes or whatever. And they'd say, Dad, no, you don't. And I'm like, well, that's cool. That if you don't believe me, actually, it helps me if you don't believe me, because that way he can unfettered watch what you're doing and, and report to me without you really thinking it's you know i can see you in your natural state man i did that for years (laughs) and i did it because a it was fun (laughs) it was fun (laughs) it was fun to fib to them and again it's like santa claus a little bit gaslight your children (laughs) yeah gaslighting is the term you're looking for creating a false reality that that affects their behavior gaslit my children yeah and uh that was the that's the closest I've ever come to surveilling them in any sort of way. So that tracking your thing on the phone, there's no way. My my mom used to do this thing where periodically she would 
sit me down, yeah. make it, make it, make a deal about it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. sell it, like, come on over here and put both hands, fold her hands in front of her yeah. and look me dead in the eyes and say, what do you have to confess to me? <laughs> and it was a trick that she got from her boss at the time, a lawyer, and he would do that to his clients. He would just randomly call them and say, because he was a diverse attorney, he needed to know yeah. all the dirt because he needed to know where all, all the bodies were buried. He would just <laughs> randomly call them and say, hey, listen, I need to talk to you. What do you have to confess to me? <laughs> and he would just shake loose. Randomly. My mom used to do it to me and my brother, and we would just pour out because you never knew. Yeah. You never knew. Yeah, because if you didn't, I, I think her trick's the same as mine. Mine was just preemptive. I think it's yours the same. was also you also invented fake people. Yours was definitely <laughs> gaslighting. But mine was just uh, asking me to to confess in the in the light of the Lord. It'll be a fun for thing for them to laugh at when when I'm dead. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? <laughs> Hi, this oh, is so uh, Alex dead. from California. Hey, how's it going? What's up, man? Uh, hey, anybody good. you know uh, ever died? Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody, right? No, um, eventually. I, I'm just calling because I I, I kind of feel like I had a little bit of both worlds growing up. Like my mom. She was very kind of like that helicopter parent where she would be there whenever something at school would happen. She'd be the one talking to the teacher. If she didn't like the teacher, she would move you. Uh, you get detention, something like that. Mm -hmm. And even when I went out for college, uh, she kind of convinced me. She said, no, stay here. You know, you're going to spend so much money. Uh, and her dream was for us to uh, live near her. And so she was very attached to her children, whereas my dad, he was a lot more even like driving and all that, you know, very relaxed, you know, make your mistakes and uh, learn from them kind of. And even then I, he was a very hands-on kind of guy. He would, we lived out in a ranch, so he would work on things and he kind of taught us that. And my brother, he's a real good mechanic, but me, myself, I kind of think I got a little more on my mom's side where I, I can't do things on my own. And this someone says, okay, these are the steps. Here you go. So, I feel like uh, you learn a lot through mistakes yeah. and this maybe a little bit of balancing is what is, is needed to kind of parent. Yeah. The, I think the, that's fair. Capacity. What what you've described is the way I was raised. My dad was like, give it a shot. See what happens. Eh, if you correct the car, well, well, we'll just learn from that. Won't we? And my mom was way more like, <laughs> like just trying to make sure everything was going exactly mm -hmm. the way it should. She worried about what neighbors thought that kind of stuff. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to the show, but she was that way. She's well, that way. yeah, I'll tell you, and, and I would say my mom would probably have been like that, but she was a single mom. So th there was there was a lot of decisions made because there wasn't time. You right. know? I think that's probably why she relied on her. It, you know, do you have anything to confess to me? Because she didn't have the apparatus for a, a, a spy network. Although sure. I'm sure she would have liked to have uh, <laughs> installed one. Oh, I love telling that dumb lie. Uh, hi, you're on the air. Who's this? <laughs> hey, this is Mark. How's it going? Hey, man. What's, what's up? Mark? What's up? Uh, so to, to kind of piggyback a little bit on what the last caller was saying about, uh, you know, the different parenting styles between his mom and his dad, I have, I have kids of my own. Um, I'm a little bit older. I'm 54, and my kids are uh, 10 and uh, 12. Mm. Um, so I, I come at it from a – I'm also a stay-at-home father. So I, I come at it from a, a strange angle. We're told to um, advocate for our parents – or for our kids – and I think a lot of parents have a – they get confused about when to stop doing that. Mm. So yeah. it turns into parenting or uh, helicopter, right? Mm. 
Now, where do you think uh, that comes so, from? Where do you think that pressure comes from? Like, as a parent yourself, where do you where do you feel that pressure from? Because you're right in the middle of the thick of it. You're in. You got those age groups that are, you know, getting ready to go to junior high and are starting to deal with girls and boys and just you know that whole world that I went through three different times is right there for you. Right. So you now got all this pressure on you, and now you got that societal pressure. Is that where that pressure comes from, or do you think that the pressure for yeah, parents it comes over from society and from other parents uh the other parents say things about you know uh oh you know because parents all talk to each other so they they say things like oh you're letting your are your kids doing this are your kids doing that you know are you going to let them go to the dance are you going to pick them up and where you know some you know every kid has their own problems and so one uh one parent has an autistic kid and so she has to advocate like <laughs> pretty pretty seriously for for her son sure um and she expects that from other parents also and other parents feel the guilt of not advocating and not watching out so closely because you know, a lot of the kids don't need that and some kids do and so uh, you know they get confused about how much attention to spend and also society says it's a good thing to be involved with your kids growth and development so we're encouraged to be involved, and then, <laughs> and then we get mad. We as a society get mad when <laughs> they're still involved after, sure. know, after the age. Sure, of it's all it all can be very confusing, and it's a great call. But there's there's that he mentioned autistic kids and their parents. Yeah, that's a whole nother show. Like, what is it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To be to be a parent and deal with that, and navigate all the other normal pressures that you would have as a parent. Plus the fact that you you have somebody with specific needs, and that range the range of needs is all over the map. Like I've got family with autistic children, it's hard. It's freaking hard, and that judgment from other people doesn't slow down if your kid's autistic. Sometimes it gets worse because yeah. they don't get it, they don't understand it, or they don't understand why you don't have a better handle on it. So uh, that stuff That's can unfair. be tricky. That's really screwed up. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Dean uh, from Virginia Beach. How are you guys? Hey, good. What's up, dude? What's up, Dean? Yeah, Dean. Yep. Mm-hmm. What do you do for you? What's up? Hey, um, so uh, you know, I, I guess a little bit about myself. So, um, thirty-one. My wife's thir- thirty-four. Uh, in the military, got two kids: ten-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. But I mean, I think. I think ultimately with this whole parenting thing, right, is it, it really stems from how we were raised mm-hmm. um, and, you know, how, how the, you know, how our parents, you know, um, instilled, our, you know, their values in us. And I don't know how many times that I've said, you know, hey, I'm never going to do that because my dad did it this way. Yeah. And then I turn around and do it again. <laughs> yeah. It like but it's also, it, right? I think there is something to that idea that you ping pong back and forth. Like we talked about with the uh, the baby boomers, they do it this way. Generation X is like, nah, we're doing it our way. And now we're back to millennials doing it the baby boomer way. So there is some back and forth, but you're also right. There's specific things that I do that my dad used to do that I swore I'd never do. And now I do them. Um, so you try to you know, not rebel, but you try to think you got your own little thing to do, but they're your ultimate exemplars, right? They're the ones you watched and grew up with. So why wouldn't you emulate them in in some of these ways? So I totally get that. Yeah, specifically, and and you guys would be able to speak to this far more than I can, but it seems like a lot of those decisions that we think of as, you know, and are kind of consequential are made in the, you know, the, uh, a split second. Like, it's not like you, 
you get all day to deliberate on literally every decision you make to parent your kids. You're, you're, you're making the call on the fly while you're dealing with a bunch of other stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no, I, I mean, there's some planning, but there's no, there's no real planning. Not for the Everyone's got anyway. a plan till you get punched in the face, as Mike Tyson said. Get kicked right in the noodle. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Who kicked you in the noodle, Colin? Hey, this is Jamie. Oh, hi, oh, Jamie. Never mind. Nice uh, job, Justin. The one, nobody, nobody the one girl we get on the show, and he wants to know about how you got kicked in the and noodle. And I want to know who's kicking that noodle. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Okay, so I come from a really unique family. My mom is Japanese-American from Hawaii, and my dad uh -huh. is white from Missouri. Okay. Rural Missouri, very rural Missouri. And so um, we lived in both places, rural Missouri, urban Hawaii. And so like my parents were a little bit more helicoptery when we lived in the city, mm -hmm. just because like we lived in a bad neighborhood and we were white, well, half white. And, um, it was just different. And then when we moved here, it was like our cousins are, there are 10 drive trucks and, you know, we're on the farm and blah, blah, blah. So it's, nobody's going to hurt you on a farm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like being raised in two completely different places, like, was very interesting. And mm. then I started working in the childcare industry mm. in college. And I worked, um, the daycare I worked at was in a town with an Air Force base. So we had like rotating kids that wouldn't be there for very long. Right. But we had a lot of moms and I, we called them the psycho moms. I know that's oh. not nice, but we called them the psycho truth hurts. moms. Yeah, truth. Psycho moms. <laughs> spill, spill the beans. Yeah. Well, uh, how, how do you know a psycho um, mom's rolling through the door? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you can kind of tell when they're like giving you a 10 page list of things about their children when their child is only going to be in your care for like half an hour oh my oh, gosh this just yeah. gives me gas to hear about it because that <laughs> like what what, what what are we talking about i'm assuming allergies oh, and medicines yeah, and uh, fears of dogs one, <laughs> yeah i think the worst one we had was a mom dropped her kid off and she was like i'm really sorry my kid hasn't taken a dump in like three days here's some prune juice we already gave her like a gallon of prune juice before good luck yeah no kidding man. wow like, so what? you're just like <laughs> did the kid poop? Yeah, did he ever poop? We need. <laughs> it was. It was. There was a lot of poop. Okay, good. Oh my okay. god! But... So she just pawned it off on you, and then it exploded. <laughs> um, the... think... Oh shoot! I didn't mean to do that. I clicked a button. I didn't mean to. You accidentally pooped your. Call I pooped out. your call. Sorry. I will say this though about her: the dual upbringing. I think that makes a difference. Sure, it does. Like, I don't know when you're nearer life, scarier bits. Like, I don't know gang life <laughs> i can't think of anything good but whatever it is that you are you're you're uh you know you're putting them in, in greater harm's way like usually they were just in a bad neighborhood i don't <laughs> think that the, the mom was afraid she was going to join the yakuza <laughs> i mean, it didn't come out right but yeah no like <laughs> it i get that though i get that the farm kim my wife grew up down in uh mississippi she grew up on a, a chunk of land where she was just chilling and had a great time, good upbringing, all that stuff. Nobody ever got hurt. Nothing bad ever happened yeah. uh, for a long time. And you could go just wander the streets because they were big empty roads and they were mostly dirt and it was just like the middle of rural nowhere. And then yeah. one day, I'm not In an to... old cabin made of earth and wood, <laughs> I... she met a country boy named Johnny Be Good. <laughs> You're not far <laughs> off on the earth and wood part. But there was, <laughs> there was a time way down, or not way down the road, but further down the road where her brother got hit by a drunk driver in that area. And part of the reason he got oh hit- Oh my God! 
I know. How many I know. deaths are we going to have on this show? He did. He didn't die. He lived, although he's got severe issues as a result of that accident. He almost died. Still with us, though. <laughs> he was only 18 at the time. The other guy was drunk. And so there was always this feeling of like, oh, we let our guard down because we're in this rural place where nothing bad ever happens and no one ever gets hurt here. And then, you know, you're that's that's one of the what's one of the anxieties and the fears that parents feel, I think, is they are like, oh, I can't have this can never happen again. Like life's big, really horrible things happen in the 1800s. You had 12 kids because you were going to lose half of them. That was just yes. the way it was. They were going to yeah. die from diseases or they were going to die from uh, diphtheria or some kind of weird uh, pneumonia thing that happened that that fall. But you were going to end up with 12 kids so that you hopefully got four and they could still work the farm and keep everybody alive. These yeah. days, it's not it's not that way. So the and the smallest loss feels like so big now. I don't I don't know what that is or how you change that or if that's just part of human. So, I mean, this we keep coming back to this idea that I think is very personal for you that that there is an understanding to why somebody would be like this, right? Because you are. Like that, that, that fear, that terror, that looming specter of unimaginable tragedy will hopefully have you raise your kid good, but also could drive people crazy and and they can do things like jacking their kid up on prune juice and then handing it to a stranger so he can poop out the bathroom. (laughs) I can't believe somebody did that. That's freaking awful. Although I shouldn't say that because Kim used to teach. I mean, but that's, yeah, that's, I don't know. I mean, like, at some point they had to be, yeah, you know, they dropped the kid off and they were hoping, I'm sure they were hoping the poop came out before and it just so <laughs> happened that it didn't. Yeah, I don't think they did anything on purpose, but I don't know, man. Having had a daughter who almost broke her neck, <laughs> this is true. I'm not trying to tell you another dark story, but when Carter was seven, six or seven, she went down a hill on an inner tube in the snow. I was working. She went flying down the center tube. It slowly rotated around, and somebody had dumbly parked a snowmobile at the bottom of the hill. She racked her head and her neck on it. They rushed her, air-flighted her to a freaking children's hospital. I ran down there. She strapped to a board. She had, like, some hideous thing happen to her. Uh, She had a concussion, uh, ended up with a cone kind of thing. Not a cone, a neck thing for, like, six weeks or whatever. She ended up with this huge knot here. Like, we were terrified. We thought, oh, great, this is it. Wait, where were you? I was at work. Kim was with her and some people up in this place. But Kim was with him. That's the thing. No, 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 no. But you guys were out at some like place. Where is it? Like your backyard? Like where? Where? Oh, all over the happen? valley. You can. When it snows, there's all kinds of places to go to. Be. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like it wasn't like a resort or something. No, like no, that no, or, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. It was a little ways up one of the canyons, but it wasn't like a. It wasn't rustic gotcha. or anything. It but that's the reason why you're air flighting them out. Is- is, is oh to get right there that's faster, a good point so not, yeah that's a good point they were in that canyon they just hop over the mountain that way so yeah that makes sense but gotcha. anyway it was one of the worst days of my life it was nothing i could control it was nothing kim could control the only way you controlled it was you don't let your kids go anywhere and that's not an option so the 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 i would seal this episode by just saying as the parent in the room <laughs> Death stalks every it corner, was- <laughs> and uh, always know that inspector and spindly fingers are waiting for you and your loved ones. I never, ever, I never, I try. I always consciously. Happy Halloween! <laughs> I consciously tried every day, and still do, not to let my own fears control where I send my kids or how I raise them. Yeah. But I'm here to also tell you that that's not easy. And it can be painful and hard. 
So yes. we didn't solve any problems here today necessarily, but hopefully people have a little broader. Um, if you're never going to be a parent out there, great, whatever, but have a little more patience and kindness for those who do because those who do, it's hard. And those who are, and you think you want to judge people without kids, stop doing that too. That sucks. Don't do that anymore. That's lame. Uh, don't act like you got the, you know, the, the, what, what's the word you got the, you got the corner on the market of how to live your life. Quit doing that. Yeah. I get that from people sometimes. Anyway, uh, uh, final thoughts, <laughs> Justin, uh, future I mean, great parent of America. What do you think? Uh, I, in, in flux. Uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would, I would say for, for me, I, I do have a lot of sympathy for helicopter parents because I think that, you know, unless you are in it and also uh, part of what we didn't really get into a lot was that part of the overcompensation is people who had terrible parents and people who had parents that, that maybe were like, not just inattentive, uh, but abusive sure. and, and mean and awful. And there is a lot of cycle of violence to that, that you, if, if it, if that morphs into, I'm going to be too protective of my kid, it is certainly at least better than I'm going to whip my kid in the face with a belt like my pappy did to me, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I'm not, laugh I'm not I, laughing at the scenarios when we're getting hit. Everybody, I'm laughing at the use of the term pappy. It made me laugh. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah. I mean, also, it's kind of a funny visual <laughs> in the abstract. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, you killed like four kids on this I know, show. I, I can't. Know. I can't slap one kid metaphorically. No, no, no. You totally can. Belt. I just want to know. I want people to know why I'm laughing. That was all. You can all do right, anything sure. you want all to right. say. <laughs> just the, the crack of the bat, like opening day. Uh, uh, look, I, I I do have a lot of pity for for helicopter parents, and I think that ultimately, what we are facing here is more of us kind of reacting to each other. And this is a larger scale kind of media idea, but I I do believe that we are in a very awkward adolescence that we are all going through together in terms of media sharing. And part of this is us getting very aggressive about things that we feel the most important about. It's why politics, I think, is as hot as it is right now. And nothing is more important to anybody than the kids. The kids are the number one thing that everyone will always care about because they are indeed the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Yeah, so, yeah. The old phrase, uh, uh, what will no one think of the children? Look at us. Thinking yeah. of the kids. We're thinking of the kids. I mean, we might be thinking of the kids dying in horrifying <laughs> scenarios and being abused with a belt, but we're still thinking of them. Yeah, and that's thinking. what counts. Yeah, thinking matters. All right. How do people respond to today's episode if they want to get their feedback in? What do they do? Unfriend me show at gmail.com. Again, that is unfriend me show at gmail.com uh, is where you can uh, can write into us and and we will be happy to get your get your uh, feedback here on the show. I got a I got a feeling, man. We're gonna get a mountain on this because uh, uh, a lot of people. Maybe these parents are out there doing parent things and they can't call in, but I'll guarantee you, they're gonna have some opinions for next week. Speaking of next week, though, Scott, hmm. is next week is next week? Uh, uh, no, we'll still do a regular episode. Yeah, we'll still be here. Their Vegas happens that weekend, but we'll we'll still be here for Tuesday. I was thinking. Yeah. Maybe we could record a little episode in Vegas. Oh, hey, that's not bad. We'll come up Maybe with a way it could that. be a special episode that you've been wanting to do. <laughs> we can't do her. abortion in ba Vegas, dude. 
No well, way. I, hey, listen. Number one, it's not like we're going to be blazing new trails out there. Uh, but in between. What are we doing next week? What's our thing? I'll give you I'll give you two. Uh, I'll give you electoral college or polyamory. Oh, I want to do polyamory because I want to help. I want to understand it better. All right. Polyamory next week on the show. I have I have some opinions about it that probably some are going to see as cavemanish, but I I want to I want to suss it out. No judgment right. or anything. I just I'm trying to understand as a person. I'm just saying we might get some emails on that because nobody emails like the poly people. Oh, the they're poly into people it. People get out here and they email. Yeah, they're into it. Um, on friendmeshow at gmail.com if you want to get all up in Scott's uh, urethra about his opinion on polyamory preemptively. There's lots of room in there, so come on in and enjoy. Uh, also, don't forget to <laughs> s- support us on Patreon. Double Y. <laughs> Uh, it's pay- out of the bathroom in five seconds. That's right. I am. You wouldn't believe what I can do with my double wide urethra. Um, <laughs> it just comes out like a wave pool. It's just crazy. Uh, anyway, what am I saying? Oh, hey, patreon.com slash unfriend me. Patreon.com slash unfriend me. If you want to support this nonsense, and I think you probably do, <laughs> head on over there at patreon.com slash unfriend me. Oh, and I have a Kickstarter going at frogpants.com slash cards. If you like playing cards and you want custom art, and rad ideas. You want to see some uh, some cool stuff? Go check it out. Uh, just uh, launched it yesterday. We already hit our goal, but we got stretch goals to meet. So if you're into it, uh, check it out. Frogpants.com/cards. And uh, where are we? We're at Frogpants.com/unfriend me. Justin, anything else you want to push, pimp? Say yeah. This week uh, in celebration of Tax Day, go ahead and buy a contender game, and you get a free tax expansion with it. So uh, brand new cards that you'll be able to get by for a friend. That is uh, thecontender.us. Use tax cut at checkout. Oh, that's fantastic. Go do that. I think that's everything. Thank you all for listening. Thank you callers. Thank you everybody for being here. We'll be back here next week for a whole new episode of this here show, Unfriend Me. Until then. Stay out of trouble, unfriends, and we'll see you then. See ya, unfriends. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>